So in some areas, water is not an issue. Access to water is not an issue. In other areas, it's a privilege. And so where access to water is a, deemed a privilege and not so much of a human right, we see that sanitation infrastructure is very poor and that, you know, having a flushing toilet is unimaginable. When we think about our human rights, such as the rights to healthcare and education, how many of us think of water and access to water as being important for the enjoyment of those rights? So the way we use water is important because as a the saying goes, whether it's cliche or not, water is life, right? So we need water for our everyday survival. And it plays such a vital role in also our ability to enjoy other sort of rights that we don't actually naturally think of, right? So when we think of education and enjoying and experiencing the right to quality education, you really think about water. That's Elizabeth Piney. She's a researcher with Equal Education, a non-profit social justice organization in South Africa. This podcast is brought to you by Jojo, a proud supporter of South Africa's water activists, and a proud supplier of water solutions for better quality of life. By protecting our most precious resource, Jojo's quality products help to safeguard the well-being of people, communities, and the environment. Please enjoy today's episode, a celebration of all things water and the people working tirelessly to protect it. This is For Water for Life, the podcast series that tells extraordinary stories of ordinary people and water. They've made it their mission to preserve, purify and protect the water supply where we live in a water-scarce and unequal country called South Africa. I'm Gugule Tumflungu. And I'm Michelle Constant. Elizabeth is part of a movement of individuals wanting to ensure that South African children are able to fully enjoy their right to education by making schools safe and decent places to learn. Equal education is a movement of learners, parents, post-school youth, um, teachers and community members who are basically um, agitating the government for quality and equal education and to ensure that the government also delivers on their promises regarding education in the country. And we do so through advocacy and research, strategic litigation and youth organizing. What does this have to do with water, you might ask? Well, one of the key focus areas for equal education is access to adequate water and sanitation in schools. For Elizabeth, the work and advocacy is driven by her desire to see other young people, in particular young black people, live their very best lives. 
little bit cliche to say that I want to see a change, you know, in the world and I want to be part of the change. So being an education activist for me then becomes how do I then use my agency and my, you know, cultural capital, the social capital I have to be able to give, to make sure that all children, all young people are given the right conditions to be able to realize that potential and to be able to self-actualize like I have. In 2020, the United Nations estimated that one in five South Africans lives in extreme poverty. Education is a powerful tool for changing that. South Africa's constitution was often lauded for its expansive definition of human rights, dignity, equality and freedom, a necessary framework following the end of apartheid, which was a crime against humanity. Section 27 of the constitution goes as far as saying that along with healthcare and social security, that everyone has a right to sufficient food and water. It's allowing for access to better sanitation and then improving learners' experiences at school. Then you begin to see how that then plays a role in our enjoyment of, you know, other rights such as education. So the way we use water, the way we think about water and the way we interact with water needs to improve and needs to change. And we need to think about it holistically and not just like this thing that we pay for and then we just drink and it's good for our body. It has social implications. But despite Section 27 of the Constitution, a large number of schools around the country are unable to provide access to adequate water and sanitation for children. Up until 2013, South Africa did not really have a legal framework to go by when it comes to infrastructure issues or sanitation infrastructure or even regulations regarding how schools should look like. So upon many advocacy and obviously um, lobbying the government and protesting and many actions and sort of anger from community and school communities, the Department of Basic Education then introduced what is now called the Uniform Minimum Standards, Norms and Standards for School, Public School Infrastructure. Now, this is a legally binding sort of policy or document that stipulates what a school, like an ideal school should look like, what makes a school a school. So according to these norms and standards for public school infrastructure, all schools that are made of inappropriate materials, such as your zinc, mud schools, asbestos, should be replaced. And when it came into law, it banned the use of basic or plain pitch latrines in schools. So that is from 2013, it is unacceptable or unlawful and illegal for schools to still have pit latrines on their premises. And then it goes on further to stipulate that by a certain time, schools, all schools, public schools in South Africa should have access to water, adequate safe water on their premises. It should have adequate safe access to access, adequate safe toilets. So the idea is for the sanitation infrastructure to be improved over time to meet the highest level of standard, right?
For some parents, when they get their children ready for school in the mornings, there's the added anxiety of whether their children will be safe using the toilet at school. In 2014, the country was shocked by the story of little Michael Gomabe, a five-year-old learner from Limpopo, who died after falling into the pit latrine at his school and drowning in human waste. That should never have happened in the 21st century. So in realizing that this is a big issue and challenge, the government has tried to introduce a number of interventions to address the sanitation and infrastructure backlogs and problems we are facing. One of such is the Sanitation Appropriate for Education Initiative. So in short, we call this the SAFE Initiative. And the aim of this initiative basically is to try and eradicate or get rid of plain or basic pet latrines from schools. But the problem is that delivery has been very slow, right? According to Elizabeth, more than 22% of schools in the country still use pit latrines and 10% have pit latrines as their only form of sanitation. However, decent toilets are only part of the challenge. So according to even the national, the Department of Basic Education's, you know, sort of statistics, which they produce on a yearly basis through the National Education Infrastructure Management System report, there's still a significant proportion of schools that do not have access to reliable water supply. So when we say reliable water supply, it could be that there is, let's say, water tank at the school premises, but then it is not filled on a regular basis. So sometimes it is empty or it is not serviced properly. So the thing is just sitting there. Even if there's water in it, it is not clean. So it's not clean from consumption, right? In addition to the issue of water that is safe for use, there's also the issue of infrastructure, both backlogs for building new infrastructure at schools and the maintenance of what already exists. When we are talking about infrastructure, we are looking at the school community holistically. So we are looking at the physical building itself, right, as forming part of the infrastructure. Then we are looking at the related services or facilities that enable teaching and learning to happen smoothly and properly. So then your access to electricity, the water issue, the toilets issue, classroom space, all those things form infrastructure. Despite some progress, the country's history continues to impact why some areas have greater infrastructure challenges than others. So when you look at your Eastern Cape, the infrastructure challenge we are talking about is mainly to do with inappropriate building structures. So your mad schools, your zinc, your asbestos, they also have a huge challenge of the sanitation problem. So a lot of schools there having about um, using plain pit toilets as their form of sanitation. And then when similarly in the Limpopo, sanitation and water is a big issue. So there's a great water challenge and then sanitation pit toilets is extreme.
But let's take a short left. Someone else who knows all about infrastructure in big cities is architect Afia Wilcox. Carlton Centre, for instance, was built in 1967, um, so that's almost like 50 years ago, essentially, where Johannesburg was seemingly, you know, built in, into the space with large skyscrapers. And, and now we still have the remnants of what was built, you know, between 50, 50 years. I mean, most of the buildings are built within 50 to, let's say, 30 years ago within the CBD. And uh, now you have this infrastructure that is old, essentially, and not necessarily well-maintained. So it was built, and the water systems and water stormwater drainage were built within this, this long period. And now you're seeing the remnants of what has changed. So something like when you look at being able to maintain a city, you need to be able to maintain stormwater structures. And I think things like that have not necessarily been looked after. The infrastructure has generally fallen apart in some places. Afia is part of a collective of architects that's thinking about how we can build cities that look after us and the natural resources around us, like water. To do this requires a shift in how we imagine cities. And infrastructure is suffering because it falls through the cracks. For instance, a lot of our budgets are going towards Santon as a CBD, um, but Santon is, is in a very different space. That's in the north of Johannesburg as opposed to what was the center of Johannesburg. So all of the money that could be used to overlap and create a bigger, more well-maintained Johannesburg CBD has now also evolved into these many different CBDs. And the maintenance, therefore, budget has been spread very thin. Afia is preoccupied with ideas of creating sustainable buildings that suit our local context. Sustainability, if you break it down, has got a lot of things that we need to work on. So there is kind of looking at sustainability from a space of water. And what that means, water conservation. Can we make buildings that allow for less water consumption? And that even goes down to the finest details about as tap heads. You know, do you have tap heads that can allow for aeration? That means that we use less water. And then it goes down to how we treat our water, you know, can we recycle water? And this goes hand in hand with our energy consumption. There's also looking at energy and how do we create alternative energy sources. That becomes part of sustainable buildings. And then there's also waste waste collection or waste um, disposal. How do we dispose of our waste? Are we recycling things? We have to break it into chunks for us to really understand what it is. And from there, then we can start to look at what a sustainable building is. And from there, we can start to look at what a sustainable um, city is. I think we have examples now of more cities that are using alternative energy. You can hear plenty more about innovative solutions that might solve some of our infrastructure problems from Afia in her episode in this series. But back to Elizabeth. She believes that in the same way we cannot speak about education without speaking about access to water and sanitation. We can't speak about protecting water where there is a lack of access to it. So on the one hand, you need access to water to have access to better sanitation, especially when we are thinking about better sanitation to mean you're flushing toilets at school, right? Without water, the question becomes almost mute, like there's no point in discussing it. And then there's also the other side of the coin. Uh, without proper sanitation infrastructure, our water conservation or our, the quality of our water is threatened. 
So because pit latrines are dug underground, you're basically just dropping the waste underground, right? There's no sewage system that, you know, filters it out and treats it and whatnot. Communities then that have used, rely on boreholes as the only form of like proper water supply are indirectly endangered because there's a likelihood that the fecal matter and toxins from the pit latrines would then drain into the waterbed and affect the quality of those water supply that they have. So there's a health and safety issue with not addressing the sanitation problem that we have. And it directly impacts on the water quality that communities are using. This is why, for equal education, each of the rights in the Constitution works hand-in-hand with other rights. If we could imagine basic education, access to quality education as not just, you know, some an individual thing to, you know, develop yourself, but it is a social good in itself in that when you educate people and they are liberated and empowered, they can live a more productive and social life and contribute meaningfully to their communities, to the society and to the world at large. And then if you can think further and imagine that access to sanitation, proper sanitation infrastructure is equally important in realizing this quality education we are imagining or talking about, then we can conclude that the lack of proper safe sanitation infrastructure actually does us more harm than, you know, the whole society more harm, not just the individual. Water becomes more than just something that comes out of a tap. It's a critical part of addressing issues of poverty and inequality. We cannot address the crisis we are facing in the basic education sector purely from a pedagogical perspective, that is increasing teachers or training teachers or having more workbooks and technology. We have to also look at the physical environment that this teaching and learning has to happen in a daily basis. Is it conducive for teaching and learning? Does it inspire creativity? Does it make learners and teachers want to come to school on a daily basis? And if we neglect to address that, we are, we are going to continue to see the dropout rate increasing. From the rugged and hilly landscape of the Eastern Cape and the lush rolling hills of the Limpopo, for our next episode, we head back to the City of Lights. Johannesburg is where we meet a man who spent almost a decade trying to get to know the Yuxke River. So my name is Sean Christie. I am a journalist by trade, not by training, and uh, currently working in communications, but I have a probably damaging obsession with the Highfelds rivers. And um, for about 10 years, most of my journalism has, has focused on those rivers and what they tell us about society, systems, the environment today. But why the fascination with the Yuxke? What can we learn if we listen to that famous river's water? 
because it unlocks the city in a way that few things do. You know, being rising in the city center and running out to its edge, it's a way of navigating a very complicated city for me. And so it's a little bit like, uh, I remember working in America and a study came out showing that very few American children understood that milk came from cows. I think it's the same with Joe Burgess. You know, there's a lack of understanding around where the water comes from and just, a, a, you know, often an absence of thought about water. For Sean, the lack of consideration around water exists at the same time as what he calls a thirst for recreating large bodies of water in Johannesburg, which is famously a city not built along a large water source. And then, of course, there's historic inequality. And inland, in the Highfelt, you know, this kind of separation from water bodies was doubled by the lack of water and, and the fact that the little that was, you know, little created was often private swimming pools. Yeah, Joburg lives with this kind of thirst, I think, for bodies of water. But that's a conversation for another episode where we'll listen to the water. I'm Michelle Constant. And I'm Gugule Tumlungo. Thank you for listening. All our podcasts are available at jojo.co.za. The series was made possible because of Jojo. For water, for life. Find us on social media at For Water For Life and share your water stories using the hashtag listen to the water. Because if you do, it can change your life. From the Jojo family to yours, we hope you enjoyed this episode of For Water, For Life. Whether you're looking for top quality storage tanks, water filters or other water solutions, Jojo has the product ideal for you. Discover our range at jojo.co.za and find us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram for all the latest product news and water-related content.